0: James two fourteen to 26 And here is God's holy word. And let us give our due attention to both its reading and proclamation. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled. But you do not give him the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. As the grass withers and the flower fades, God's word alone endures forever. I have to say, as we look to this particular passage, that perhaps one of the most painful labors I have as a minister, particularly in dealing with people, is when you meet those who think they are Christians, but whose faith, let alone their works, are, are placed not in the Lord, not in His blood, not in His righteousness, but are placed upon themselves. People who think they are right with God, but you know, in fact, they aren't. And that isn't a, a callous judgment meant to condemn. That isn't a a judgment that is made that falls under that umbrella of of Matthew 7 where Jesus says, Judge not, lest you also be judged. That is a, a painful reminder that people walk around wanting to wear the name of Christian but not having the substance of what it means to be a Christian. People... Have or claim to have some style of faith, but their faith has no substance to it. That it is a void of life and the fruit of good works. They are, as Paul would say, they have a form of godliness, but no zeal or power from within. No real and true and living faith in the Lord Jesus. And it is painful because often, as it was with Jesus when he dealt with that rich young ruler and he watched him go away, Jesus loved him. But you could tell with all of the compassion of the Lord that that man went away lacking salvation. The very thing he came to seek is the very thing that he gave up. You know, this message this morning, if you look in your bulletin, I titled this message, True Faith Produces Good Works. It is a message that could easily have been entitled, as James states in verse 17, 20, and 26, Faith without works is dead. (laughs) But uh, I chose a more positive statement and more so because of the three illustrations that James uses to emphasize the point the positive side that the negative side faith without works is dead the positive side true faith produces good works it does it cannot help but produce good works And when you see James coming here and dealing with this whole issue of what is real and living faith, that's what this letter is all about. Striving to show to the church in his day what real living faith is all about. As it was in his day, so it is in ours. James was dealing with many who were pretenders to the Christian faith and life. As it was in His day, so it is in ours. There are many who want the blessings of God. Many who want the glories of eternal life. Many who think that heaven is for everyone except for the really terrible wicked people whom I judge to be terrible and wicked. Many want that. But they do not want the narrow way that leads to life. And they do not comprehend what real and true and living faith in Jesus Christ is. Now, in having just said what I said, did you notice how many adjectives that God added to the word faith? Real, living, true. Why do we do that? There are many other adjectives that get added when we start talking about what a Christian is. Sincere Christianity, sincere faith, true Christianity, real Christianity, real faith, true faith, living faith, born again Christian. Sounds like we're simply restating things uh, doubly in, in expressing and distinguishing what is real and false. And why do we do that? Because we understand, we know, we have met, we have experienced the pretentious believer. The the Christian who is nominal or carnal, which means they're not really Christian at all. They wear a name on their sleeve but do not have the reality of saving faith within their hearts. And again, such discernment. We're not accusing in the sense of condemning, but such discernment is necessary. James goes on. He here is making that point. He here is judging in respect of what is real faith and what is dead faith, and saying, he even calls in verse 20, O foolish man, to think that you can have faith without works. How foolish you are to think that such faith without works is real saving faith. And in chapter 4 he says, now be careful how you judge people. (laughs) You see, he's, he's doing what I am doing. He's judging. Not in the fact of condemning, but of warning, of striving, and of being in earnest for the souls of those who are yet still lost, but believe they are saved because of something they have done. And when we come to this passage, even within the realms of the church, we know, any of us with any measure of experience, that this is one of the more controversial passages of Scripture because it seems that James is contradicting that gospel truth that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, and not of works, lest any man should boast. But I want to say to you, that James here is not engaged in a debate between works and faith concerning justification. It's not either or. And he understands that only the Lord Jesus Christ Saves us from our sins. Only the Lord Jesus Christ by His sacrifice is able to wash us clean and bring to us the life that we need. He understands that there's only one way to have condemnation that hangs over us. Removed, taken away. And that is through the sacrifice that Christ Himself offered on the cross. And the bearing of the penalty for all our sins in judgment. He did that. And James knows that. He's not debating between works and faith. Nor is he arguing against Paul. And Paul, we know... Defend it. And we have been going through the letter to the Romans, and we, we have already seen how rigorous Paul was to establish the truth, the purity, the essence of the gospel that saves is that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But you know, even Paul, when you get to Romans 12, he says the same thing that James says here. That faith that saves you is not alone. There is a work that comes from it in your life. And even Paul in those well-known verses, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, which I've already mostly quoted to you, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, he says, By grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. That is the truth of the Gospel. If you want to be saved, if you want to possess the assurance that your sins have been paid for that god no longer is going to pour out his wrath upon you and condemn you to the eternities of hell if you want the assurance that you are have been and are continuing to be free from the penalty of your sin you must believe on the lord jesus christ there is no other way that we can be saved There is no other way that we can gain eternal life but to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Our works, our goodness, our righteous deeds, whatever we think that we do that that is pleasing to God, it does not gain a single ounce of redeeming grace from God. You must believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul says. It's not of our works. Not even one work. Even our faith to believe is a gift worked in us by the Holy Spirit. And the reason is so that we cannot boast and say, you know what, Uh, Jesus did that for me, but here's the little bit that I contributed that that I can say before God, see, I was not a terribly bad person. There's no boasting. It's a humbling thing. Only Jesus saves. But what does Ephesians 2.10 say? (laughs) Doesn't it say this? after he's made that statement about how we are justified by Christ alone, what does he say? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. (laughs) That God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Real, genuine, true, saving faith shows itself in your life. It brings forth, it produces good works in you so that you may glorify God. And didn't Jesus say that Himself? Let your light, let your faith so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in Heaven. Matthew 5.16 Does your faith Show in good works. If it doesn't, you need to check what your faith is. It was the Reformers who made it, and to put it in light of the Reformation, yes, we are justified by grace alone through faith alone, but that faith that saves is never, never alone. And that is James' point. And I'm stressing this, my dear friends. Don't be tired of hearing this one more time. Saving faith. That grace of God whereby we receive and rest in Jesus Christ alone for salvation as He's offered to us in the Gospel. That saving faith will and cannot help but produce good works in you. And good works are those deeds and actions. It's not just a profession. It's not just what you say with your mouth. Good works are those deeds and actions that flow from a true and living faith, which show a love, obedience, and trust in God and His commandments. And that's what James is getting at here. Are you truly saved through faith in Jesus Christ? Then that will show itself in your life by love, obedience, and trust. It's that simple. And yet, yeah, it's difficult. And what James does is he gives us three illustrations that we can examine ourselves. Do I have real faith? Are good works coming from that faith? Or do I simply say, well, 20 years ago I walked down the aisle and I professed faith in Christ and then I got on with my life. And nothing changed. My friends, if that defines your view of Christianity and faith in Christ, I'll be bold. You are not yet saved. You have believed a lie. You have not put your trust in Christ. Because true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ changes you. It cannot help but change you. Because the Spirit now is at work in you to make you like Christ, that perfect man, that Holy One who came, and who came to save us. (laughs) Now, the first thing that James illustrates for us In this whole issue, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith works through love. That's his first point in verses 14 to 17 when he says there with some very hard and stinging questions. You look at verse 4. In fact, this whole passage before us is one question after another after another. Challenging. Do you have real faith? And he asks the question in verse 14. He says, what does it profit? What does it profit if someone says he has faith? My brethren, if you say you have faith, but you do not have works, can faith save him? And I'm sure most of us would say, well, yes, all you have to do is believe on the Lord and you'll be saved. But James' point here, and this is is something that is Challenging for us to grasp, but important. He says, if your faith is in Christ, that faith works. And it works through love. Isn't that what Paul said in Galatians 5, verse 6? Faith works through love. 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 3. I see your works of faith. See, James is not opposed to Paul James and Paul, I believe, very good friends, are saying the same thing. Faith works through love. You often heard that, and it's something I still remember this occasion. Back in my younger years as an adult, a 16-year-old friend died. And I knew him. He hated the church. He hated God. He had no sign of faith in his, in his soul. His mother clinging to some hope and wishing him to be in heaven said, I just remember him being uh, a, an eight-year-old when, when, when he talked about how he knew God had ca- counted all the hairs on, on his head and, and, and he had some testimony of God. And I, I say this because, m- my friends, this is life and death issues. These are matters of eternity. You can't wish someone into heaven if they made a profession of faith but turned back into the world and have cast off all things of God. Yes, there are prodigal sons, but if they have not returned to the Lord in seeking God, their, their fruits of their life have shown what their faith really was. It's hard to hear, isn't it? But James is saying that a profitless faith is nothing. It's dead. There's no life there. In other words, it's not saving faith. What does it profit? He asked that question again in verse 16. Only this is with the illustration And he's using this illustration to show a profitless faith. Because true faith works through love. My friends, what does it profit? If you have a brother or sister, in other words, a fellow believer... If you have someone with whom you say you share a common Savior with and you have a brother or sister who's in great need and all you say to them is, well, I hope you get along well. Be warm, be filled. I'll pray for you. <laughs> but you do nothing. You've not given them anything that they have needed for the body. Is that really love? Love? What does it profit? And it's a two-pointed illustration. Because James is taking the words of Christ and putting them into a very practical outworking. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. What did did we hear uh, from John 13 in that whole series on that upper room ministry? What did Jesus say? By this all men will know that you are my disciples. How? By your Love for one another. And my friends, when Jesus talks about love, He's not talking about an emotional, gushy, giddy action that just springs up where we're all giggly and huggy. And He's talking about real, true, agape love that demonstrates kindness and goodness. And the world around you will know you are my disciples. They will know your faith is real by your love for one another. And if you have a brother or sister who is naked and in destitution and you do nothing, you have profitless faith. It's just hard, isn't it? I told you, James is not going to get easier for us. <laughs> it's going to get harder. But he wants us to wake up to the reality. That's the first point with this illustration. That faith in Jesus Christ naturally produces a love for the brethren, a love for the church. When I hear people who claim to be Christians but hate or dislike or do not want to be part of the church, the body of Christ, I have reason to doubt their faith is true. Because true faith in Christ produces love. It works through love. But the other point is, just as useless, pious words are to a brother and sister in desperate physical need, so a professed faith without tangible love is empty. (laughs) You know, it's empty. And James brings us to that verdict, doesn't he? verse 17, after giving this illustration, what does he say? So also, thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, it is dead. If you do not have a sincerity of love for your brothers and sisters in Christ, you have dead faith. Because, and putting it in the positive side here, faith works through love. You know, we talk about the works that James is talking about here. This is it. Let us love one another. (laughs) And isn't that what The second table of the commandments is love your neighbor as yourself. Do good, Paul said in Galatians 6, do good, especially to those who are of the household of faith. You see, here's the works that flow. The second illustration, verses 18 to 26, brings out this truth. Not only does faith work through love, faith works through obedience. Faith works through obedience. And again, James introduces this point with another challenge in verse 18. Ah, but some of you will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I will show you my faith by my works. That's James talking, arguing with somebody who comes up and says, Look, all we need is faith. That's it. Just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing more. That's that's all we need. And we're fine. We're set. Now that was good for the thief on the cross. I mean, he was dying. And we're going to get to that at the very end of this letter, the whole issue of deathbed conversions, if you will, to some degree. But James isn't talking about such a person. What he is talking about is the one who professes faith in God, but exercises no obedience before God. And it's a stinging question. Do you want to know verse 20? Do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? <laughs> you need to understand. And here he's talking about the the good works of obedience to God and his word. And again, I want to emphasize this when you when you read verses 18 to 20 before he gets to the example of Abraham, you you need to understand he's not debating about faith versus works, and which is more vital. Nor is he positing what some cults and false religions posit of the necessity of works to add to our salvation. That by doing good works, we are gaining salvation, or a greater salvation... From God. When you hear that kind of language. Dear people. You are hearing a false gospel. And a false Christian faith. James is not at all saying that. I want to emphasize that. What he is saying. Is that real and true faith in Jesus Christ. Has the works of obedience flowing from it. And if you are not committing your life to obeying God, then there's a problem with your faith. It's hard, isn't it? Now, we're not talking about perfect obedience here. But we're talking about a life committed to God's commandments. And again here, he, he actually gives us a couple illustrations, but the first one comes and just nails it in the coffin. Don't you understand that you can have a right profession without substance? And you have nothing more than a profession of demons. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe they tremble. And you can stand there and say, Hey, I believe in God. It's okay. I'm I'm saved. I don't have to worry. You're not trembling? (laughs) You don't have the fear of the Lord? I mean, even the demons had that. And again, what James is doing here is He's bringing us even back into the Old Testament. Most of you who are part of our church will know what is called the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. And this comes right after God had restated His commandments. And He says there in Deuteronomy 6 verse 4, Hear, O Israel, it's called the Shema because the Hebrew word Shema is the word hear. Hear, O Israel, The Lord our God, the Lord is one. And that's what James says there, doesn't he? You believe that there is one God, you do well. But that phrase, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, doesn't stand alone. What comes right after it? You Believe the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And even God is saying, as you believe I am the Lord your God, then love me. And if you love me, what did Jesus say? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You see, this is saying, faith works through obedience. It's the the bottom line. And James understood many were making that intellectual profession of faith, but a life of faithful obedience did not follow. And my friends, that is dead faith. That is dead faith. Don't be deceived. Many can recite the Apostles' Creed and the Nicene Creed, but their faith does not go beyond that. And James's verdict there in that respect is you have a faith that is not any better than that of the demons. In fact, the demons believe, but they tremble. And you can say all of that and not fear God. And remember, in Matthew eight twenty nine. That I think James probably is considering that account as it's written in Scripture where the Lord came to the Gadarenes and He met two demon-possessed men. Matthew has two, Mark has one, but it's, uh, it's that two were there. And and as Jesus came closer, the demons cried out. Listen to what they cried out. What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? <laughs> You see, they could make that testimony. They could make that profession. Jesus Christ, He's the Son of God. And Jesus would have none of it from them. Because they were saying His name in vain. But listen to what they said. Have you come here to torment us before the time They knew they were under judgment. They have a fear of the eternity that they must spend in and under the wrath of God. How many make a profession of faith and eternity is far from their mind? and he comes and what he does here is he illustrates for us an obedient faith by looking to the preeminent man of faith Abraham himself. I always find it interesting and I and I just say this not not to uh not to stir the pot, but it's very interesting that whenever Paul wanted to bring forth an understanding of justification, who did he go to? Abraham, Abraham. every time. Every time. And in fact, when you read in the letter of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, and the great men of faith who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it interesting? Of course, uh, Hebrews was written a little later on, so they could have referenced them, but only Old Testament saints are listed. And James brings us to two of them. But first, it's to Abraham. And he points to Abraham's faith that obeyed God. Abraham's faith was proven real when he obeyed God. And when he obeyed God and it was costly, it meant great sacrifice, and yet he went forward. His faith was being tested by God. Will you obey me even if it costs you? Will you obey that law that says, love me and have no other gods before you? All the way down to the law that says, and you shall not covet. Will you follow me? Is your faith real enough to obey me when it's hard? And you think, well, sure, but it's going to be the testing of your faith for that work to show itself, that work of obedience. Remember the rich young ruler again? He boasted that he kept God's law. Jesus looked at him and said, knowing the first and the last commandment, you don't realize it, but you've got an idol in your heart. And as much as you may desire eternal life, you have another God. And you cannot serve God and mammon. Sell what you have, give it to the poor, and follow me, and you will have eternal life. And the rich young man coveted his wealth, his prosperity. He couldn't do without it. He He literally broke the whole of the law, as James said, as we heard from last week, because the two bookends of it, he failed. He could not obey. And true faith shows itself in that obedience. Abraham's work of obedience gave testimony to his being justified, gave testimony, as he says there in verse 23, he was accounted righteous because he obeyed God. And you heard God say that to him twice, Abraham, because you have not kept back from me, even your only son. I see you are believing in me. Not that God needed to see it, but he was proving to Abraham, your faith in me is real. You have obeyed me. You are my friend. That's that's what God has said. Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You see, obedience to God's commandments, it is not wrong. It is expected it is a demonstration of real faith. It's, it's like this. If I could use another illustration. How many of you would simply take the word of a carpenter who has on the side of his truck, fine carpentry, we give you our best. Something like that or whatever. Do you just take that for granted? Because you saw that that line. Here's a great carpenter. Or do you ask him first? Can I see some of your work? Because your work will testify if this is true of you. (laughs) And that's what he's saying here. Your obedience to God demonstrates your love for Him who has first loved you and saved you. You're not earning God's favor. You're loving God. And true faith loves God. And again, the verdict works. This is what Paul, what James means when he says, you see there in verse 24, that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. It is easy to make a profession. But is it real? Your love for God will show it. It will show to your heart, to you and to others, but to you, even in particular, it will show to your heart you have truly believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And last, and very quickly, the last illustration, because having said all of this, I don't doubt that some of you are sitting there and saying, I'm not like Abraham. (laughs) Ma. You're you're asking a lot. I'm just beginning in my faith. I, I haven't come to those places where I'm being tested for that dramatic obedience that Abraham offered. Or I I haven't had those opportunities to be able to love as deeply as that illustration there. This is where I think this third illustration comes into play. Faith works through love. Faith works through obedience. And the point of those two verses concerning Rahab is this, even small faith works. (laughs) Even small faith works. Who is Rahab? You can read her story in Joshua 2. When Israel, crossing the Jordan River, was getting ready to lay hold of the promised land, and they came to Jericho. And they spied it out, and Rahab we know is the prostitute, the prostitute who housed the spies and led them out another way. But listen. She was one who understood that the people of Jericho were terrified Israel was coming because what had already happened to two other nations that opposed Israel. And they, they were decimated. And so Jericho shuts themselves up and they're, they're afraid of the God of Israel. But it's not a fear that leads them to humble themselves to cry out, O oh God, save us. But Rahab does. She sees all of this, and listen to what she says. As soon as we heard these things, uh, she's talking about all of Jericho here. As soon as we heard these things, our our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. But here's Rachel's, I mean Rahab's testimony. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above, and on earth, beneath. That's all we read of Rahab. But we read in other places, Rahab was, I think, the great-grandmother of David. (laughs) A Gentile prostitute whose faith and knowledge of God was small. But that small faith worked, didn't it? It trusted God. And she showed her faith, not by lying. Everyone thinks, oh well, Rahab lied we're allowed to lie if circumstances demand it. Is she praised here for her lying? Or is she praised here for trusting God to deliver her from judgment? And she showed her trust by hiding the spies and sending them in a different way. She's mentioned in Hebrews 11. I think the only woman no Sarah was mentioned. Can you imagine a Gentile being mentioned in Hebrews 11 as a woman of faith and for nothing more than believing in the God who said she would be delivered from judgment? A woman of faith, faith as small as a mustard seed, and yet as small as it was. It worked. And it worked to move a mountain in desperate times. She believed in her Lord. And I encourage you, even small faith works. It produces works. And James concludes again with a verdict that just as a body cannot be alive without the Spirit, so faith cannot be alive without works. True faith. True faith produces works. And I challenge all of you to look to yourself. You say you believe. Does your life show love for the brothers and sisters in Christ? Obedience. Love for God. And even if it's small, it will still show that love and that obedience.